1: Hey y'all, it's Alante and you're listening to Black and in Grad School, the podcast that helps women and people of color like you excel in this journey. If you're listening, I believe you are an aspiring or current scholar who wants to successfully navigate this process. By sharing my experience while pursuing my PhD and interviewing other Black graduate students or early career professionals, it is my hope that you can glean encouragement, advice, and strategies that you can apply to your journey. Thanks for listening. what's up y'all we're back with another episode of black and in grad school i know it's been a little minute but you know i'm just happy to be here with new content and talking to exciting people especially one of my homies um just an amazing soul i met back when i was at illinois um one of the yeah you know i know i don't talk a lot about that experience but i will always say that even though i like did not love my time there i met some of the most amazing people and one of them being dr Kalechi ebay lambert so let me tell you a little bit about him uh dr ebay lambert is a tenure track assistant professor in community health at state university of new york Cortland. he received all his degrees from the university of illinois at urbana champaign and he completed his poc- oops excuse me he completed his postdoctoral training at the university of florida Dr. Ebay Lambert's research interests are health disparities, health behaviors, outcomes among culturally diverse communities, specifically transnational black immigrants. He is also the host of a podcast called My Black is Transnational. Kalechi, thank you so much for joining.
2: Yo, I've never had anyone introduce me to a uh, to anything like that of that nature. So first of all, it is my pleasure to be here, homie. Um just just honored to be on the show. Um, thank you for having me. Glad to Absol- be here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really have been excited to have you on the show for like legit over a year now. So I'm just so happy that we're able to chat and talk about your experience because, I mean, the first thing I want to just point out is can you let the people know how old you were when you finished your PhD?
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I was, uh, I completed my PhD when I think I had just... I was about to turn 26. I was 26 uh, when I completed my PhD uh, at the University of Illinois at, at Urbana-Champaign.
1: Y'all, beastie, beastie. Just, I just want to encourage you. You know, just let's take a moment to just think about that. Even if you are over 25, like myself, that age is no limitation right like you don't meet someone every day who gets their phd that young it's the same breath if you are on the other end or a person of a certain age but i just feel like that lets you know kaleshi was always about his business and of course now we have to know the story as to how you got through into this point to have a phd by 25 because
2: It was, um, it was a journey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real honest. And and I know I'm not gonna get too spiritual, but I definitely believe that me being here may sound cliche, but it's nothing but the grace of God. And, and Mm -hmm. and I say that because, um, you know, and we'll probably talk about this towards the end, but I I say that because it really was more about the community that I created that got Mm -hmm. me through it. Um, that really helped me persevere and added a supplemented, uh, the energy that I had to persist. Because once I what I realized at a very late stage of the game, and I'm gonna call it the mm. game called grad school, is is that it's exactly more so about politics than anything else. Um, you know, I started my whole, if you don't, you know, I'll go really quickly into just my background. It's like I started my whole, like most um young people, a person of color, I came in with the aspirations to to get into med school, right? I'm born in Nigeria, got here when I was young, grew up in Chicago, got to University of Illinois, and like any African told, you can be only a couple of things. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure, right? Like so you gotta do all those, you gotta pick one. And I came in with the with the hopes of trying to get into med school. Took a couple, you know, majors, realized this ain't for me, decided to go, you know, into you know, public health. Figured at some point, hey, we're going to try to finesse our way through into medical school still, right? And um, senior year came by. I was like, okay, I got to get into grad school, right? Because this med school dream is looking real, real shaky. And maybe I can get to med school, you know, but I get my master's first and that make me look a better yeah. candidate and all that. So what, mind you, at this stage, what my, you, I'm sorry?
1: What made you think that you weren't an eligible candidate fresh out of undergrad?
2: Well I mean I just had a really really bad you know my grades didn't necessarily fit the requirements right and I was advised um, by my advisor, not necessarily my mentor but I was I was told by my advisors that you know you got to have a certain you got to fulfill a certain criteria GPA hours and volunteer and I didn't do none of that right because I was struggling just trying to get through a, a MCB major which is my um, molecular cellular and biology um and it was a struggle. So once I got into my public health major, community health major, um things were looking good, but at that point I felt like I was a little bit behind and mm-hmm. I just figured, you know, maybe if I get my my masters, I'll get my grade, my GPA, and I'll be able to have more time to get my, you know, my whole I'll get myself together and be able to be more of a robust, a robust candidate for the entire application process, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I fast forward. I apply, take the GRE, apply to get my master's, and I didn't get in. Did not get in, right? And did not get into grad school, at University of Illinois. And I was like, "Wow, bro! Like, I'm screwed." <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, I don't know what I'm gonna do because um, I really thought I was a shoe in, and if something was just off. Now again, this is where I really, I really encourage people. You know, even if you are in grad school or you're pursuing grad school, whatever. No is not just, don't just take no, right? You got to realize that it's not just about you and your intelligence or your, you know, your abilities. There's a lot more that goes into getting into grad school than that. And that's what I learned at an early stage. Because funny enough, I reached out, I was, I had a good relationship with the administrative secretary at the University of Illinois at that department that I'd applied to. And I'll never forget, this had to be the summer of 2010, I was, uh, I was a director for a, a summer day camp at Douglas Park, and I remember getting a call from uh, from her. I'm not gonna say her name because she ain't
1: right.
2: It. <laughs> um, but I ended up getting a call, and she was like, "Kalachi, I'm gonna tell you this real quick. You need to petition your rejection letter because I see all these white kids getting into school with worse stuff than you, and you not getting in, and that's a problem. So I need you to appeal right now." And I was like, "Say word." Say less. Like I'm on it. Right. So I appealed it. And I tell you, like, it was probably like two days before my birthday or like a week before my birthday. But like a like a couple days before I got a letter from the university saying I got in. Mm. I was like, wow, like it's just like that. And that's why any. New incoming grad student, especially students of color, I always encourage them, make sure you make. Good relationships with your administrative assistants, lead administrators, your secretary, whatever title they have in that position. Build relationships because they be looking out and they're the ones that process the information. They know what goes in and out that department. And if not for her, man, I wouldn't be here. So I always, even every year, I always try to send her an email and just show her how grateful I am because those are the people that really make a difference and you don't talk about, you know, so that's how I got into grad school. And from then on, you know, going through the master's program and then, you know, I did that and I, you know, was still kind of like treating it like undergrad of sorts because I just didn't have the proper guidance until about my second year, which is when we were finishing up where I started to really learn that, oh, like I can't treat this like undergrad because it's more specified and it's more so about looking at these professors as human beings, like that are very, very fallible. They make a lot of mistakes and they are very, very shady sometimes and things of that nature. So I started to look at things a little bit differently with a different lens. And um, then as I finished my thesis, talking to my advisor at the time, you know, I realized, okay, you know what? I actually do want to pursue my PhD because I actually like the topic that I'm interested in. And I want to be able to take it to the next level. And this, you know, I'll just pursue my MD, PhD. Again, the MD stuff was never going away, right? So um, (laughs) I was still like, yeah, I'm just going to get my PhD and I'm going to do the MD, PhD. And I'm going to get it. I'm going to get this money and I'm going to have these two titles and I'm not going to give up. So what made me actually let go of that MD dream was when I actually met, um, you know, my wife at the time she wasn't my wife, but I was looking for her and I, and I got connected with her through a mutual friend. And the intention was to try and get someone who would kind of hook me up and kind of show me the ropes as far as how to get into med school. That was the whole purpose of me meeting this lady. And lo and behold, having a conversation with her, she was like, you know, so she asked me, she just said like, okay, so what do you want to do with just MD? And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do my research I'm gonna publish, I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna go get this MD, and then I'll do residency for like, you know, whatever year is necessary, practice for like five years, and then go back to the PhD. And she looked at me like I had to be one of the dumbest individuals she's ever met in her entire life. Because she was like, So you're gonna go and give up all that money, spend all that time, investing, going through the blood, sweat, and tears just to practice medicine for five years? You're gonna be in so much debt, <laughs> like it ain't gonna make no sense. And I was like, huh. makes a lot of sense. I don't even like medicine like that. I just wanted it for the access, right? And I didn't want to be in a hospital that long. Like So I started to really think about things practically because she was going through the process and finishing up med school. So she had firsthand experience as to what that feels like, not just look like, but what it feels like to go through it. And so that kind of made me realize like, look, I would rather invest my time into being the best researcher into a topic that I'm very passionate about, building communities with people that I that I like, right? Such as yourself. And 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 you know, when we were in Illinois, we had a really, really good, you know, community of scholars within our, you know, BGSA group. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, building with that. And so it just it just made started things started to really click for me. And I think once I committed to the PhD program and let go of that pipe dream, I really took my research and we took off. Like me developing my research agenda, which was a very novel one at that time. No one was really doing it. Had to really, you know, fight some battles with my, with my, uh, with my advisor. Like most grad students who've probably been on your show have to talk about Right. and um, you know, and really got through it. And, and I got out, <laughs> like, I just, it just hit, I just hit another gear and everything just became very clear. So it was, it was, it was important to have conversations with different people about my my path and what i wanted to do and and it was good to have people who were real with me and weren't just like oh yeah you can do it if you put your mind to it and not really think about the realities of what comes with even if you do get to that point it's not about getting there right now it's about staying there right so like getting getting your degrees is cool and and, and all those things matter but how do you sustain and maintain now that you've reached that plateau or reached that new level in your life and that was kind of what that conversation with my wife kind of uh, led me to start thinking about that. It ain't about just getting an MD, PhD, but what am I going to do to maintain a happy life uh, that's stress free, uh, that that's that's it brings me joy and and content contentness contentment I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that I don't want to get too long winded, but I, I think that's pretty much what the journey looked like as far as a snapshot. Gotcha. So. <laughs>
1: Let's see. I really like the way you ended it because that's gonna really uh kind of push my my second question. You said you were looking for uh were you at the in the end you were looking for a career that provided, you know, contentment, contentment and um that's low stress. And I really wanna know, is that really what you found in doc life?
2: When you say postdoc, are we talking about like the actual process of being a postdoc or life after getting your doctor?
1: Life after your PhD. Okay, after okay. Yeah. PhD, yeah. Actually, after I, like, I guess your PhD was conferred.
2: Yeah. I I will <laughs> definitely say uh I found it. And and where I'm at, I'm fortunate enough to say that I found that level of peace, but it wasn't something that came immediately. Right. I I definitely had to go through the process of discernment and really learning what and what i liked and what i didn't like mm-hmm. now don't get me wrong from from the from the onset i've always told myself that i would rather be a better father, husband, friend than i would be a better doctor mm-hmm. just because ultimately when it's all said and done i've always had the perspective that on my tombstone it's not going to say how many publications, how many grants, how much money I I accumulated in grants and all that, right? But it's really going to speak on the lives that I've touched, the people that I've met, the people who've impacted me, the people who love me and vice versa. So when I looked into what I wanted my career to be, I wanted my career to give me something that allowed me the flexibility to be able to have autonomy over my own path and pick the pace in which I want to move in that path. So I didn't want I a, a, a I didn't want to necessarily go into a, a career where it's super demanding and and you know publishing papers is part of it's part of the game as far as being in academia but sure. you can pick the speed in which you want to roll and that's what I learned throughout my postdoc at the University of Florida I learned you know after observing and 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 watching my mentors and supervisor at the time the type of life I really wanted to lead and I saw that you know to, to achieve a certain amount of Uh, you know, uh, uh, I would say accomplishment or to get this certain level of pedigree that some professors have, you know, with, with the big titles and who are endowed and all those things. That's cool. But there's also that other part of your life where you see the sacrifice that is being made, right? Some, there's, I'm not, there's some professors I'll say that you know, go their whole lives and they don't have kids and they're not married or, you know, they have a high level of, you know, depression and anxiety. And, and it's something that I never expected when I, when I imagine what it's like to be a professor. Like I figured like, okay, if you're a doctor, yeah, that's going to come like, you know, because of the, what you see, right? You see people who are sick and, and going through pain and suffering. So you, I can imagine how that would translate, but never in academia. And so after observing that for a little bit, I realized, okay like, I love my research and I want to be in a space that allows me control of it and doesn't try to uh, push me away from it or try to change the direction in which I want to. So I'm not going to go to one of these universities that are, um, that doesn't allow for me to move at my own pace. Like, I don't care about the money because I really believe that although being compensated is cool, I do believe that if you're good at what you do, the money will come. Right? And that's just okay. how I always felt. So when I was on the market, I, you know, started applying for jobs. And that was my, that was a lot of, a lot of the questions that I would ask them when they would interview me Uh, was, you know, what are your mentorships? Like, but how do you, you know, what's your mentorship looking like for a person of color like me, underrepresented minority, but mm-hmm. two, like, what does work life balance look like for you all? Right. How collegial are you all in your department? Right. And like, you know, what is the most important thing for your department? What does success look like for your department overall? And that was a question that, you know, that's I interviewed at Boston University right before I got my job at, at SUNY Cortland. And I remember, you know, it had to be my best interview ever. Like, I I mean, I prepped up. When I tell you I killed it, I killed it. You know, I'm to this day, they know it. I know it, like whatever, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They know it. So, and I was a finalist. I remember it was so, you know, I got the, the email saying I didn't get the job. I almost, I almost cried. Like I, I was, I I mean, I don't even think like breaking up <laughs> with, with my girl at the time would have been any painful because it was just like, what? I gave my all. And it was so bad that the committee chair had called me and the search committee chair called me and had to explain like, yo, like, it's not you, you know, it was this, you know, politics and all these other things. And what I realized at the time, you know, was that when it comes down to academia, like there's certain things that people have to sacrifice that I just wasn't willing to give up. And I think, I I think they kind of saw that when, when I interviewed with them that like I value, you know, my family and I value the, the whole publish a parish game is not going to get to me mm-hmm. because ultimately you know, when it's all said and done, I'm not trying to be in in the game. So as far as my whole goal is to open doors for younger students of color or people who, I, who identify with me um, and encourage them to start getting into academia and start pursuing their PhDs and start doing more research. But I'm not trying to be in the game forever, where I'm trying to dominate it. So if if when it's, if it, if it comes to the point where it's like, okay, look, man, you're not getting tenure. Okay, cool. Like I'm about to go do something different. So I think that they can kind of sense that. But when I got my job here and I interviewed here, I mean, I from day one, like they just seem to have this emphasis on just being collegial, like looking out for each other. Like even the president, when I interviewed with him and he met me, I was like. I tell my faculty to go home to their family if you have it, or just don't be here too long. Like we understand that, you know, you want to do this paper and all that, but you got to find time to be with the people that care about you. You know what I'm saying? And that stood out to me, right? So you don't hear that much from a university president. So I was like, yo, like, okay, this is exactly the guy I'm looking for. And being in this position as a professor, uh, tenure track, it's, it's hectic. Yes. Teaching is a little bit, you know, can be hectic at times, but as far as my research goes, I'm going at my own pace. I'm building relationships with the people at my own pace, building community at my own pace. I come home and I, I'm not staring at a computer for, you know, 10 more hours. And that was something that I was doing in my postdoc, right? I would come home at five o'clock, but I would spend like seven more hours sitting in front of a screen. Looking at, you know, and to the point where my daughter was just like, Why is daddy always <laughs> in his office? You know, and my and my wife had to be like, yo, like you gotta spend some time. Like, she notices this stuff and it's contradicting everything that you're saying you value, which is you'd rather be a better father than a better doctor. Right. So So holding me accountable, you feel me what I'm saying? So like it was it was good to have that that type of reminder. Um, and then from then on even now, you know, when I come home, I put work away. If students email me, I catch you early in the morning or this is the time, anything else it's above me now. So, <laughs> um, so at this point, uh, life has been good. Long story short, I've been able to find balance because I have autonomy and i move at my own pace and I've been able to still accomplish what I want without losing my soul. Ooh, that's beautiful.
1: And I think that you really gave us like some insight into taking the time to to understand what's most important to you. It seems like you identified what you valued prior to going out and looking at, like before you sought out a job the way you can ask the right questions. Excuse me about, you know, what work life balance was at the school so you could figure out what place was the best fit for you. And also um I'm going to shout out Tawana Wanda for this like really great insight way back when you were considering the MD PhD and helping you put things into perspective and just the power of sharing your plans with others to help you know um troubleshoot and look at it um just some of the like snippets of what you share that I feel like I want to make sure that we all know like the people listening and myself that um we're putting that in in mind when we're considering when we're thinking about what we want to do next, yeah. and the fact that like academia doesn't have to be this, um, you know, um, what the what's the word I'm looking for? Like stone to the, like grind stone, like this like continuous endless grind. Like there are places that exist, yeah,
2: that
1: that really do value work life balance, and you know, it's still a tenure track position. It still a, kind of like has the trappings of what a lot of us aspire to do, um, without having, again, that pressure to be, um, doing all the things all the time, and so my next question really is about, like, your experience in grad school and now post-PhD as, you know, a Black man, um, in America and, like, like in these spaces and on the work that you do, like how does all of that kind of, how do you manage or navigate all of that and tell us like your perspective?
2: It's very, it's very interesting. And a lot of the things that I will mention now are in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times I, I, if I go back and think about my experience, I mean, I was very, I was very conscious of certain things. I mean, I was surrounded with people who were, you know, weren't necessarily like minded, but we had some really great conversations and everything. So so in my time in grad school, you know, it didn't it didn't dawn on me that there were so few of us, uh, specifically black men, mm-hmm. right? In the graduate program that I was in. As a matter of fact, when I got into the PhD, actually my masters and my PhD, my masters it was two of us. It was, a three, it was three of us for the Masters, I'm sorry. And we were all good friends. One of them I'm still, I work very closely with now. We started a research thing together. But by the time I got to the PhD program, it was only about two.
1: Okay.
2: And then it ended up being, it ended up being, <laughs> yeah, it ended up being two. Actually, it ended up being two, two of us. And uh, the numbers were just so small. Who was
1: the other student?
2: Um. So it was me. Another, my other, it was my friend Dade. You probably never met him before. He was older. You know He's I'm say non-traditional. Um, and then I'm talking about people in my cohort, right? Like in the entire department, there was probably like five total. <laughs> like, uh, so it wasn't that many of us, but even me as far as my whole cohort, it was just, it was essentially just two of us. And um, yeah, we kind of, and then Dade and I, we started, if you look at any of the manuscripts I published and everything, like we ended up. To putting the transnational agenda uh we built the research together i kind of started it he was we published a lot and everything but that was my guy that was my partner in research okay. um so and that was in my other my other friend um who ended up leaving um i think he's coming back now and finishing up but he ended up dropping out started a family and then he came back and he finished okay. up so it wasn't that many of us right so ultimately i wasn't thinking about it until like like I said, the second year of my master's program is when things really started to hit, and I was just like, "Oh wow!" Like all of these things really are starting to factor into why you know I am you know moving at the pace that I'm moving. And I'll tell you, my my I had a, a class that I took, and I'm sure Kelsey, if when we talk off the air, Kelsey would tell you about this person as well. Uh, but this was a class that I took, and um, it was about it was about cultural competency, and it was all women? I was the only. I was the only man, wow. and I was a black man in that class. And it was taught by a, a, a. I would say she was. I would say she's a black woman. Just say she's a black woman. One drop rule, and um, <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> so, so basically, I mean, that class was an experience because what I learned in that class was that not everybody looking out for you, and there was this this whole concept of uh, that was probably the worst class that I had as far as just grade, but as far as like interaction with a professor, right? It was just just cold-blooded treatment. And I can tell, and I'm, I'm not even trying to say this to be shady, but like, I can tell like she was scarred from something that a black man did to her. And it just resonated and it reflected in how she interacted and treated me. Like, it was weird. Like, imagine going to talk to your professor about something that's going on with you and why, like, you know, okay, I asked you like, get. Uh, let me let me just start over. I give you an assignment about yourself, right? So let's like say I say, Alante, write a paper about your auto an autobiography of you and the first time you experienced, you know, your first time you experienced you were black. The first time you you understood what homosexuality was or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And and I you write this paper and I look at you to your face, while well, I grade, I give you this grade, and I write in the paper, this is not good enough. What? This is my life, sis. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? We... I need more. Like, what do you mean? This is all I know. And I think for her, she didn't understand
1: Like, I feel like that happens a lot, too. Like, people want to, they like to evoke
2: trauma. And- exactly. And I'm like, sis, like, first of all, I, I I wasn't born here. So I've always told them I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not, in a sense of... I do empathize with the, the post-traumatic slave syndrome that black people go through, but I'm not, I can't sit here and tell you that I, that I know all these things because I came in as an immigrant and my experience was different. Right. What do you want me to tell you? Right. So she, so we had that conversation. So that interaction was just the, the start. It was an ominous sign of, of things to mm. come. And, and it, it got to the point where she went to tell my advisor about, about this and uh, my advisor had to sit me down and i don't know I, what what is the rating in this show i don't want to be too no, explicit you can, if it's, you can
1: um we either clear, we either if it's an f mm-hmm. we clean it up but besides that you know
2: okay cool so he had to sit me down and was like he was like yo kels he was like did you He's was like did you smash like what happened oh like did you and i was like like, doc, never. Like, well, why would I even, I don't even know Shorty like that. Like, I don't even, obviously I'm being more informed now, right. but I'm, just, I'm like, I don't even know her like that. Why would I even get to that point? He's like, well, I don't know because she uh, she came to me, you know, complaining about you and this, this. And he's like, but she seemed real scorned. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, so, so, I mean, that experience alone just led me, it was an eye-opener upon eye-opener as to where I stand as a black man in this department. And how I needed to rely on my community outside of this department mm-hmm. to be able to really thrive, which is why, from then on, I got involved with BGSA and all the other things. you know, I really started to get more, you know, involved with other graduate students that are not in my department yeah. in order for me to truly start to feel like, okay, other people can relate, right? And then I got into SPI. Uh, which really helped, you know, tremendously as far as continue to bridge some of the gaps that I that was missing in my experience. So all those things matter. But when I got to my PhD program, I mean, I I, I was I was set because I had really good mentors. I had um, you know good people to talk to inside and outside my department, and you know I was able to understand the game. Like, okay, this is what you need to do to graduate, right? Like, don't do don't do this, don't do that. Right. My advisor was not necessarily well versed in like all the classes that I needed to take. So she was like, oh, just go talk to this person. OK, so I got to talk to the right people. And I and I ended up having some people look at those types of situations in two different ways. If your advisor is kind of like shaky, you're like you can spend a lot of time complaining and being like, hey, my advisor is shaky and is not really knowing what, you know, what needs to be done. Yeah. Or you can be like, look, man. If she don't know nothing, that just gives me opportunity to do what I need to do, right? Mm-hmm. And she can't tell me that if I'm doing the wrong because you don't even know, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I I ended up taking that the latter perspective and saying, well, she's not really sure what's up. So this gives me the opportunity to take autonomy and just kind of pave my own path. And as long as I'm able to hit some of the things that are required, then I'm good, mm-hmm. right? So I was able to talk to you know some of my predecessors or some of the higher, um, the more further advanced graduate students. Who like, okay, take this class, take this class. And I just started to put my own curriculum together. So almost to the point where I think by the time I hit my second second year in the PhD program, my advisor came to me and was like, Look, Kells, um, I have a little bit of a problem with you because you're too much of a renegade. <laughs> and you know, I was like, What do you mean? Like you like, you you don't come, you don't reach out to tell me what's going on. I, we don't see you in the lab, right? Like, because me as a young black man my whole goal was to just get out right like i wasn't worried about like you know trying to be involved in the lab and trying to assist with you know your projects to get manuscripts and all that like i didn't i wasn't really learning about that i just was treating like any other type of institutional type of a setup where it's like get in get out right, right. The best, take the exams get the grades get out so she sat me down and was like yo you know you're being too much of a renegade you're working on these projects i'm not knowing about any of these things So then she had to reel me back in, and I was like, "Okay, whatever. I'll play a little game because I need you to get out, (laughs) right? Right. So I need my advisor to get out, so I can't be on her bad side. So, uh, so in the PhD program, I was able to learn how to just politic a little bit better Mm -hmm. and and serve in where I needed to be, where I needed to serve, and also use that time that I'm serving to find ways to serve myself or find ways that they can serve me. And um, I think that that worked out very well. Up until the end, like I said, in the end, it reached a point where, you know, I knew I was going to get, I wanted to get out, and, but I wanted to get out at a specific time because I had a plan to, um, I had a plan to, you know, to. I wanted to accomplish something during my graduation day and I needed to get out. I needed to defend and have it ready by then. Um, I, and on my graduation day, I had proposed to my yeah. wife uh, and and yeah, you were there, right? So yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so and, and but it wouldn't happen because my my advisor was trying to like hold me back. And I was like, nah, like I need to go. So if you're gonna take your sweet time reaching out to the committee and all that, I can't do it, right? Like I need I'm gonna do it myself. And so I ended up working on all that. That led to some conflict. Uh she wasn't happy that I took took it upon myself. So that that was that. But anyway, we made up, we good now. Um so the PhD experience. dividing those two chapters, the PhD experience, I was well-prepared based off the experience from my master's. And I really was able to develop the skills to protect my interests, but also serve other people's interests, uh, which is a pure definition of politics. And by, by being able to do that, I was able to also build community, build a network, be involved in different types of programs such as SPI, such as BGSA, and all these other things. And I promise you, like, that made the graduate experience as a Black man feel a lot more easier to, uh, I would say the word will be uh, process and just kind of accept.
1: Um, I kind of have a question about this politicking, right? Because I know it to be true, and I definitely think that it happens, but, like, What, after your, after your advisor made that comment, what did you do differently to, you know, that you would call, like, politicking? Because I think sometimes we hear that word, but we don't really know what the actions are behind that.
2: Yeah, I'll try my best to try to, to give you just instances. So for me, the, going back to the whole narrative of being a black man in grad school, right? The people in my lab, to be honest, I mean, there were people of color, there were Hispanics, but a lot of them, they were, they were, they were keeping to them. I wouldn't say keeping to themselves, but they were relating easier with themselves because they're from the city. They had similar backgrounds. They speak Spanish. A lot of them were international students. So it was easy for them to build relationships and relate with each other better than me, young black man. And I was the only black man in my lab. So, you know, for me, I was like, I ain't messing with these clowns. Like I ain't they ain't relating what they don't even understand what my research is about. Like they not. I'm out. Like, I'll see you when I see you. I'll come through when lab meetings are, but I ain't seeing y'all then. So that was kind of where, when she sat me down and had that conversation, I was like, okay, I still don't agree because you ain't done nothing for me. You ain't hitting me up asking me about, you know, trying to help or assist or whatever, right? You're not breaking this whole, you're not really guiding me right? You're just kind of telling me what's up. And I guess you anticipated that I should already know what to do. Right. And I don't because this is my first time going through right. this. So what I what politicking looks like is saying, okay, look, this is what she wants me to do. Obviously, she's insinuating through what she's mentioning that she'd like to see me around more. So then I'll start showing up and sitting down. Even if I don't want to be there for her, I'll sit down and at least show face occasionally come in say hi ask questions what are you doing what are you working on how can I help right I ain't give a damn about this but I was just like I'm gonna try and just do this because my initial mindset in the master's program was I'm a goddamn Mm -hmm. renegade right like I ain't trying to fall into this whole academia BS like I'm me young you know transnational bicultural black man i'm about mm-hmm. this shit from chicago Southside, and i'm not losing myself for this game so i'm gonna have to they gonna have to you know they can kiss my ass as far as i'm concerned right and that was my mindset like i'm gonna do it when i'm ready <laughs> like they're not gonna you know fool with me whatever and coming into the phd program now i was like okay that, that attitude obviously is just not gonna take you nowhere because your life is in their hands as far as graduating and defending mm-hmm. and all that. Right. So showing face, right? Asking them questions and then trying to use that opportunity when you're interacting with them to say, Hey, I'm working on this, right? Keeping my research agenda very vague, but trying to, to use that interaction to kind of gain some knowledge to at least create the idea that you're mentoring me in some way, shape yeah. or form. Okay. So at least, for her conscience, she felt like she was contributing to my growth. Whether it's true or not, that's only for for That's up to her. That's the nope. mystery. But but in her mind, at least, she felt like she was contributing to my growth because I was asking her questions about basic stuff like methodology, like, you know, how to do a re- lit review. What do you think is the best way to go about formatting your literature? Like stuff I already kind of knew the answer to, but I ask it anyway because I want to at least show that I'm engaged and I'm least interested in doing it. I'm not saying be phony for right. sure, but I'm just saying, like, you know, engage okay. and and. And, and so sometimes I definitely did learn a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have learned if I didn't interact, but that was what it took, right? So I had to start showing up to lab meetings, okay. start letting and her you, know what I was there, working on, degree, um,
1: letting that. her know that I
2: was interested in publishing and all the other okay. works. And 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 Hello? it worked out that way. And we slowly Hello? but surely started to be more involved. Hello? She started to slowly try to guide me as to far as like, you know, how I should properly put my CV and all those things and... I mean, it worked out. So that was ultimately what it was. And in return, I mean, she was able to at least, if not anything, ultimately facilitate my exit out. But in addition, right. she also helped as far as like, you know, with my when I had a manuscript I needed to publish and all these other things, she helped facilitate that. Okay, it was one manuscript opportunity that she was able to kind of help facilitate one of our her other students. Um, I helped him with some uh, data collection and interviews and i got put as a second author for a journal and at yeah. that point i'm saying that loosely because at that point i honestly didn't even understand the value of publishing because she really needed to me mm-hmm. it wasn't until spi it wasn't until like going to conferences like apha and all that stuff yeah. that i really started to learn and then when i started publishing by myself you know she got a little upset so i had to bring it back again politics so it was one that we published ourselves um darena and me we published one and then she saw that and she was like, oh, for like, this is how you feel, like you ain't tell me this. And then the next one that I ended up doing, I threw her on it. You get what I'm saying? So like, okay. yeah, so that, those 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 types of things, you know, she has her own particular interest and I served it, but I also use those opportunities and interactions to also serve myself and continue to push me forward towards that exit door.
1: Okay. I gotcha. Well, I think um, you definitely gave us a lot as to as to how we can approach, like, what this politic in, what, it, one, to identify a situation that might be politic in, and what we can do to um, kind of position ourselves well when we might, if, if and or when we find ourselves in that situation. And so um, we're wrapping up, and what I really want to know is, is there any like, last, like, bit, or like, little piece of advice that you have for current people going through their graduate school journey, Um, you know, of course, specifically women and people of color that you wish someone shared with you or that I just didn't ask you during our time?
2: Yeah. So I'm I'm sorry I didn't talk about it earlier because I didn't want to get too deep in my research and what it was and all that, but um, for the sake of time, 'Cause I can get you know get into it. And and but what, what it meant being a transnational was interesting because um for those who don't know, a transnational as far as I define it and how I define it in my work is an individual who has um established ties to multiple countries. So mm-hmm. essentially for in layman's terms, pretty much a dual citizen of sorts, but you're heavily invested in the affairs and and, and the life and, and the culture in multiple nations, multiple states, and things of that nature. So for me, in my example, I, am, I was born in Nigeria, immigrated to the United States at a very young age, but I still maintain my ties to Nigeria. I travel to Nigeria often. My family still remains in Nigeria. I keep in t- contact with Nigeria, but I'm a Chicagoan. I'm a Black man here. I'm, I'm heavily acculturated with what's going on um, in the Black community, in the American uh, culture. So I have that, you know... I have both worlds. I have this bridge that allows me to go back and forth. So that's the concept of what transnationalism is and how I use it in my work. So going, growing up at, in a grad school program as a transnational, it was very it was very interesting because um, having family back in Africa, I mean, they knew I was doing my master's, but the PhD thing was cool. But for them, it was like, okay, there wasn't that many of us in, in, in my family that really went through the PhD Okay. I would say like out of my entire family is probably like, I probably have, I have, I have one cousin who just got, who got her doctorate a couple of years back. Um, I have an auntie who had a PhD, but it's not that many of us PhDs. Like okay. so there, there's not, so, so being able to talk to somebody about that process was not happening. My mom didn't go through, so she ain't know what I was talking about um, she just was like, I'm here to help you if you need to find people to interview. I like, that was all mm-hmm. it was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so, but it was, it was interesting because for me, you know, and you know, at the University of Illinois, I was very much so a social person yes. and I was like kind of the one who would like facilitate or be part of like get togethers and mm-hmm. interactions. And I was all about that life. Like I loved it. And, um, I used to be very much involved in both like the, African um, or yeah, the African Graduate Student Association, but also the Black Graduate Student Association wasn't necessarily separatist or strictly for African-Americans. It just happened to be that way, unfortunately. I realized, you know, even in grad school that there was such a huge divide. And one of my goals was to try to kind of bridge that gap and try to, you know, because I really felt like, you know, we were minorities already, but even within our community, there was a yeah. little bit of a divide that I really felt inhibited us from really thriving um, and really having access to information and knowledge that can help all of us succeed because right. we're sharing. You know what I'm saying? And we all need to share because if you go out in the real world, it don't matter whether your name is Akin Tunde or whatever or Alante, mm-hmm. you Black. you right. still going to get attacked the same until you open your mouth and they realize you got an accent. But even then, they don't care about that no more. So Growing up, I was I was in the middle of boat worlds because I understood both struggles, and we you know we've had conversations. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember when Alante when we had that huge like you uh, had an inebriated discussion about HBCUs and PWIs and and uh, what was we t- I forgot we had a nice little conversation about like the history of like you know slavery and racism and all that stuff and how Africans don't care about you know, that that type of issue or can't relate to it. And that was something that I realized like resonated with the other side of where I'm from, but not necessarily here. Um, so, I mean, I think the most important thing with grad school, uh, for graduate students now, whether you're doing your master's or your PhD or, or you know, whatever the case may be, I, I think from everything that you've heard me say throughout this interview, the most important thing that I think you should value is is understanding that this, at least to me, is just never that deep. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that you should always take with you is to understand that, okay, yes, these things are important. These things are necessary for you to continue to advance and progress professionally. But, y'all, it's just never that deep for you to sacrifice the things that I hear and people sacrifice. Um, life is too short uh please exactly. enjoy it with the ones you love and those who love you it's not just about it's not a one way relationship it's two ways with with your family friends um and also especially for my black folks for my people of color my black and brown folks uh it's i understand that y'all want to live in this cold world cutthroat type of thing but root for each other y'all like mm-hmm. you know i'm not you're not my competition when i'm rooting for you like And I want you to succeed just as badly as I do. And it, it really helps. Uh, understanding, identifying members of your future community of scholars is key. Knowing the people that you want to grow with, you can't do it by yourself. Right? So why don't you do it with the people you, that you want to enjoy spending your time with? It's not that you'll always work with people that you'll be spending your time with, but your core group of people. You have to identify who they are. Because those that's your team. I mean, if you if it's not just something that relates to to grad school. If you look at how successful people are, I mean, even look at like comedians, like people who are in like Saturday Night Live, like Adam Sandler, like every movie Adam Sandler's in, he has Rob Snyder in them. Like, like mm-hmm. he puts people on, right? And, and the other yeah. dudes from Kings of Queens and, and David Spade and Chris Rock, they were all on Saturday Night Live together, right? You know your cohort, you know the people that you with, and you keep them and you grow together and you succeed. Together, everyone's eating. And that's how I think sometimes our, you know, our um, our black and brown grad students sometimes get into this cutthroat. I gotta get mine. And and I think we need to get out that behavior. Yeah. Community, build collaborations, identify your, your community of scholars, and and love yourself and spend time with seek work-life balance if that's if that's what matters to you. Find it, self-care is not selfish take care of yourself. You're not good to anyone else if you're not good to yourself. It matters. Sometimes I always try to tell people that if you're if you're not useful, then you're useless. So like it's okay for people to use you, but you got to be in a position to understand how to even be useful to other people, right? Without being taken advantage of. So so those are my like just bullet points of advice that I would encourage for graduate students in this stage right now to, to, to hopefully listen to. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, my I know you'll put it on the bio, but my contact information is there and, and I'm mm-hmm. always here to help people. I believe that the most important indications of success is, um, it's mentoring in your network. You just got yeah. to learn those two things. That matters. Mm-hmm. So I'm always here to build. I'm always here to collaborate. I'm here to mentor. I'm also here to be, get mentored, <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm always here to listen and help people out. So that's that's my advice. I'm not ashamed to be guided by someone who's going through the process because ultimately, you graduate students will be graduating. and We will all be colleagues together. So that's right. I'm here to try to you know power power impose. I'm, I'm, I want y'all to succeed, and I'm looking forward to working with all of y'all in the future.
1: That's so perfect. Kels, thank you so much for sharing that piece of advice. And what I before we get to the very last segment of our show, I want you to let me know um, a little bit more about My Black is Transnational. What That podcast is about. I just listened to the episode, which I feel like you end up touching on a bit of that divide between the African and African American community. Um, But let us know a little bit more about it and where we can listen and all that info.
2: So, yeah, I started a podcast in November called, and it was something that I've I've been long dreaming about and wanting to work on called My Black is Transnational. And essentially, it's like I take my life experience, I take my research. And I break it down in layman's terms. I try my best to use it as a form to educate people, uh, specifically mm-hmm. Black people who may not truly understand what the concept is. But I, my my goal is to try to help Black people reconnect back, not just on some Marvis, uh, Marcus Garvey type stuff, but really understand that there's more to your Blackness than what you see and experience in America. That you have people in an entire continent who are looking to what you do, and 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 want to connect with you some way, shape, or form, but they just we just don't understand each other. And Mm -hmm. trying to bridge that gap between you know um, African Americans and and Black immigrants um, by explaining to them what it's like being in between. Right. So I share my personal experiences as far as my wife and I. We have episodes where we kind of talk about what it's like. You know, being married to someone who's from a different experience uh, background mm. and things of that nature. I talk about my research. I have guests who do work in um, the in the black community, um, internationally and locally. Talk about their experience as far as building relationships with African Americans in comparison to African immigrants and the struggles and the success that exist um, in both worlds and how we can come together and become an institution. My my biggest belief is, and I've been consistent with this, is saying that in order for Black people to truly thrive and defeat the word we commonly use as institutional systemic racism, we have to ourselves evolve and become a system and an institution. And we can't do that until we bridge that gap between our brothers and sisters from different cultural groups. We don't always have to be the best of friends, and we don't always have to be, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to hate each other.
1: Right.
2: We can disagree. Right. We can disagree, but not be disrespectful. So, we have to bridge that gap and come together and and support each other in us in order for us to truly become that institution so that's my goal through this podcast is to just talk daily using regular layman words um to just have and provoke conversations and discussions between yeah. people from both parties.
1: I love it. I think that's so amazing, and like I said, I was listening to the akata. Am I pronouncing it right? I feel like You're I was. Right. Like, You're saying it right. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, I was listening and you said how it wasn't pronounced, and I'm like, I hope I'm not, you know.
2: Yeah, to, yeah, yeah no, you said it. You said it right. Okay, uh, good. And also, um, let, me, let me not forget. Sorry, yeah. you can find this on most of your um podcast listening platforms it's on Spotify, Google, iTunes, Stitcher. Um, it's pretty much anywhere you listen to to podcasts such as this one that I'm on right now. And you should be able to find it, too. Just Google, my Black is transnational.
1: Perfect. perfect. Thank you. So, yes, I like I said, I listened in on the Akata episode because it's so funny. I feel like we ended up having a lot of those conversations, even when we were in grad school. I right. feel like it would be much more knowledgeable now um, than what we were having. We was 24. I was freaking 24. So that means you was, what, 22, 23? Right. You know? <laughs> um, and so it does still feel very reminiscent of like, again, these conversations, like y'all, we used to be at Clutchy's house, just kicking it, having a good time talking, just to be around other black graduate students um, amongst all the other things that we would all do together um, and, and socializing, but I really love, like, the conversational component, and it just feels like you're really just, like, being able to get educated, but, like, in a kind of fun and chill way, so I definitely, definitely recommend if that is something you're interested in, or you notice, like, there's this, like, gap between the African and African-American community, I feel like, um, Kels, you really stand in the middle as a, as a really um, solid, informed intermediate, and it's necessary, right, to to help create a, a better bridge between the two and really my experience with you and relationship with you know, like Maryland and yeah. Miata really helped me. Cause I didn't have a lot of African friends prior to coming to Illinois. And I really wasn't aware of what it was I was missing. And so, you know, you all really enriched my life even past, you know, my time there. So, huh. It's just so great to have you on kill with that. we got like seven minutes left. Please tell me what your lesson from the trap is.
2: Lesson from the Trap is a song called Closer to My Dreams by Drake. Old no. Drake. Old Old Drake. Um so yeah, the song is as I mentioned, is called uh it's called Closer to My Dreams by Drake. And this is like the old Drake before he this is like Degrassi Drake.
1: This is like Heartbreak Drake.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. Even before Heartbreak Drake. This is like Aubrey Graham. I'm thinking of calling myself Drake, right? So <laughs> I um when he was still using the word Drizzy. Okay, so so it's called Closer to My Dreams. It's from his mixtape. Um, I believe it was called Comeback Season. Leave the Comeback Season a room for room for improvement. It's really old, but that's how far back I go as far as being Drake. But it was a very important song. As I mentioned, you know that time I uh, that time where I was trying to figure out whether I'm going to get into grad school. where I got rejected, and I wasn't sure like what I was gonna do and I was working at I don't know if you remember that store Game Day that used to be on Sixth and Right. That's the Illinois where they sold all like the jerseys and stuff. I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't remember. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Scratch that out, Stephanie. Um okay. but but um uh, but anyway, I used to, you know, ride my bike over there or walk over there sometimes and I would just bump that track like every day. Like it was just a really good song, very inspirational. Drake was telling his story as to how he was trying to make it and it was around the time when he um, I think just, just, just got in contact with Lil Wayne and, I, and okay. it, it took off. So, so it, it kind of resonated with me. It's, it's just a really good vibe song. Obviously it's, it samples from, um, is it Japelle? I always say Japelle or Gopel, you know, the oh, I, Guap- oh my God, I'm so off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Guapole. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. I just learned something new. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell my wife, I'm like, yo, that's her name. Uh, okay. So anyway, from Guapole. It's a sample from that. It's really good, so you can imagine what the song sounds like, just right. for it and everything. But yeah, that's that's my song, and I encourage you all to all listen to it and, and and let me know what you think.
1: Right, perfect. You know, a Drake vibe is always good. Good if you want to turn up a little bit, give you a little two step. But he definitely keeps a good chill vibe. So I love that. And Kels, um, like you said, I will be sharing all of your information in the show notes. But can you tell people where they can follow you on social media?
2: Um, yeah, I, I'm really more an, an Instagram uh, savant. Uh, Twitter has kind of not been my thing. So you can follow me on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore, B-L-A-C-K-T-R-A-N-S-N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L underscore. And I'm probably the only one with that name. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I will make sure that again, your info is in the show notes and the link to the podcast. Thanks, Kels.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alante. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Blacking in Grad School. For more content to help you on your grad school journey, check out blackinggradschool.com. That's B L K I N grad school.com love this episode head over to apple podcast to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated until next time
0: save big on your memorial day barbecue all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon